Brennan, it is training camp. It's here officially. When this episode drops, it'll be Wednesday, September 20th. Players are reporting for physicals yesterday or the day we're recording. We're recording this on Tuesday night. Players had the uh, the Sense Foundation golf tournament. Michael Andlauer was there, spoke to the crowd. It looked like a really good day, even though the weather was a bit spotty here in Ottawa. But it's here. We finally made it, man. It took us 39 episodes to get here. And I'm, I'm happy that we finally, we've got Sens hockey to talk about. So how are you doing on this Tuesday? We'll talk Wednesday as well. How are you feeling about the Sens uh, going into training camp here? I'm feeling good. Yeah, I mean, the rookie tournament just wrapped up and I was watching all those games. It felt good to have Sens hockey back. Like, even though 90% of the players were not drafted and were just like random players they invited, it was still the Sens jerseys and that was exciting. I mean, the Penguins didn't even let their guys wear their jerseys. They had the practice jerseys on and like to see the Sens jerseys out there, I felt good, right? Those nice black and red unis. So uh, going into training camp here, I was just saying beforehand, I can't believe that preseason starts on Sunday. Like they opened their preseason against Toronto on that at 2 p.m. Eastern, I guess, um, against the Leafs on Sunday. And training camp only opens on like Wednesday, and, and then Thursday is their first online session. So I just the timeline is like really bizarre to me. Every year this happens in my brain, it just gets jumbled. But uh, somehow, like this is the last week without hockey. I know a lot of people they're not invested in the preseason. That's fair. To be honest with you, like if I was invested in the rookie tournament, I know I'm going to be invested in the preseason because you still get to see Brady Kachuk out there. You still get to see Tim Stutzla. You get to see guys, you know, who are really fighting for a job. Like I think there is value in the preseason. There probably is too many games. It's still kind of entertainment. And, and as long as everyone stays healthy, I think it is good hockey and it's fun to watch. Remember last year we got to see Debrinket and Giroux kind of lighting it up. They scored that overtime against uh, overtime winner against Montreal, and and it's just. I don't know. It's a good thing to start, but yeah, this is our last week and then Sunday, five more days. And then it's just constant hockey. Like it's Sunday. And then their last preseason game is on the 7th of October. Their first regular season game is on the 11th. So it's literally nonstop hockey for the next, like however many months, almost a year. So uh, I'm feeling good and I'm excited for training camp. I think we've got some good storylines to talk about as well. Um, Even though the roster is pretty set, it's, you know, there's still some, some, roles to be one here and and of course we just had some news today so uh yeah we got some stuff to talk about do we do and uh luckily you know we had all the stuff mapped out we have a lot to talk about in the, on this show for episode 39 we were going to talk uh rookie camp wrap up who dominated who got invited to camp because today in the last few hours really after their golf tournament kind of wrapped up they released the training camp roster going through that at the time it was igor sokolov was going without a deal that kind of broke just recently that he just signed a one-year deal. We'll get into that in a second. We've got sh- some Shane Pinto stuff to talk about. Not on the roster, obviously. We'll get into that as well. We'll wrap up the rookie camp standouts, who was maybe maybe disappointing if, if that's even a thing. But we'll mostly focus on the standouts because overall, I think a pretty good showing for the Ottawa Senators. You caught most of every game. And I, I you know, like a, like a proud supporter of Everyday Sends, was on the Twitter when I couldn't watch. Great clips up there as well. So... We had a lot to get into, but yeah, we'll lead with uh, Igor Sokolov here. Friend of the show, Igor Sokolov, actually. Really happy that he finally got to sign his deal. So he's getting a one-year deal, 775K in the NHL. The big one, though, is 120K in the AHL. That's a very good salary for an AHL player. Um, and I think from what we've heard and what we saw, this was kind of the the holdup, I guess, with this contract the whole time. It was, yeah, it's going to be a two-way deal, but can you give him a bit more money when he's sent down? So. For those who aren't really aware, maybe when you're on a two-way deal, let's say you know, you're know you an entry-level player, right? And you're on your two-way deal, you get 925 in the in the NHL. But then when you get sent down, you don't make that same money in the AHL. Your salary gets bumped way down to like 70, 90K. So I think Igor last year was making $80,000 or something like that 
on his deal. And this was a bit of a raise because if it's a bit of a cushion is what, how I see it. So I'm happy he got that number. I'm, I'm assuming that's the number he was looking for, for um, AHL salary. But what do you, what's your thoughts here? I mean, literally the day before camp, I think the writing was on the wall as soon as his name was released without him having a deal. Like we knew something was imminent. So um, how do you feel about Igor getting that deal? Because that's awesome because we didn't want to ask him when we had him on because it was a lot going on and I'm glad we didn't. Cause that was about two months ago. It was a while ago that we had him on. So um, personally, I'm really happy to see him get signed big prove it deal. And I know that you thought that same, same thing when you saw the, uh, the number there. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really sure why this took so long. Maybe it was the AHL side of things, but like it's a pretty standard one year deal. I mean, they didn't, nothing special is happening here with this deal. So I'm surprised it took them until the day before training camp. But uh, I do think it's a prove it deal because Igor now he's 23 and 23 is still young ish, but at the same time, like they drafted him in 2020 as an overager second round pick from that Mark Stone deal, actually. So uh, that's another cool tie. But uh, Sokolov, he's pretty much set every record in Belleville last year. He broke, like, I think the goals, the points, maybe the assists. He, he led them in scoring. He's just been a dominant AHL player. He just hasn't quite translated to the NHL, is the trouble, right? And so I think for him, what the issue is and why it's kind of a prove it deal is because the Sens, like, they kind of have their roster set now for the next while. Their core is in place. They are going to be looking for complementary pieces for that core. Uh, of course, they'd like guys like Angus Cruikshank as well. They're going to be competing. They're getting a bit older. Um, and, and for a team like the Suns, right, it's necessary now to rely on these guys who are on cheaper deals, you know, million-dollar deals and stuff like that, the young players on the ELCs. They need these guys to step up, of course, because they're spending so much on the core. But at the same time, like, these guys have to be able to contribute in depth roles, and that's what we need to see from Igor is he needs to be able to play in a third or fourth-line role because right now in Belleville, like, he's lighting the score sheet up, but it's a much different game in the NHL. It's hard to translate scoring right from AHL to NHL. It's, he told us that himself, like it's a lot different. So he has to focus on those more depth responsibilities and maybe defense first and, you know, harder along the boards, more physical, quicker, uh, faster mental mental processing. So I think Igor's game, to me, he looked really good when he played there last year. And I thought he took a big step forward, um, but we need to see it consistently. And I think he's going to be hard pressed to find a role in this roster I want to hear your thoughts on that just because we're going to talk about training camp a little bit and the battles. I think just like last year, he's going to be battling for a spot. And I think Pierre Dorian would love to, you know, give him a spot in DJ Smith. But at the same time, like we've talked about it, there's no time for experimenting here. The Sens have to do well. You can't have anybody who's, you know, potentially not quite suited for the NHL yet. You can't have them in that role this year because it's just too important and jobs are on the line. So I think he's going to be hard pressed for a spot just because they don't really have a lot of spots that aren't like a fourth line role right now. And his game just isn't tailored to the fourth line. Like, what do you think about him fighting for a spot on the roster? He's in that group of, we talked about it all summer, the, that group of players who will be on under a million dollars, like like a Tyler Boucher, Greg, Yarventi, uh, a Stopchuk, like all these guys who are probably going to be playing the AHL, except for one, likely. Um, what changes, though, for me is is Pinto. It really is. If If we get to a point here where Shane Pinto isn't ready in time for the season, and let's say he even he signs on the day of like Kachuk did two years ago, he'll need a little bit of time before he gets ready before he's ready, like physically by the team standards. So in that case, you're probably throwing Ridley Gregg at center. You're throwing someone there. That's another spot for another player like Sokolov. So to me, I think like, like I, like we were talking about, I think a one-year deal is very much a prove it deal. Um, the AHL number, it's interesting, right? Because people might be saying, why is he holding out for more money in the minors? That doesn't really bode well for his confidence making the NHL. I'm not saying that that's what I think. I just, maybe people think that. 
um, to me, it's it's a recognition of, okay, there's a bit of a log jam. There's a lot of contracts up there. A lot of players playing where they should. Not much room in the top six as it is. And I don't even, you know, Igor maybe saying, maybe I don't even know if I'd be the first one up. The thing with Igor is that he's the all-time leader in Belleville Senators points and goals. So he's getting paid for that now. And I, I love that for him. So um, to me, like, I, I do think he's a guy. And and this summer, like some of the pictures of him, he's, he's slimmed down a lot. I think since draft day, he's probably dropped about 20 pounds. That might be, I'm pulling that out of nowhere, but he's skating a lot in Ottawa, spent his summer here. Um, I mean, when we had him on, he was crushing some shake when after a workout or after a skate, like he, he's, he's into it and he's really focusing on that. So he could be a guy who figures things out and can, can get in, you know, to, to the lineup on a regular basis. And that's not a bad thing whatsoever. I want to tell a good story about Sokolov. So this summer, one of my friends plays D1 uh, in, in the States for Maine. Um, and he's comes back home, obviously skates in the summer. So he skates with some of the Sens guys here and there. And he was talking about one time or a couple times he skated, I think it was Giroux. And he was like, this, he's unbelievable, all that. But said he skated with Sokolov too. And I asked him like, what, what's, what's he, what's he like on the ice and everything. And my friend told me, he's like, he he's so fast at skating. And that's surprising, right? Because I think most fans, sense fans and Igor, maybe even himself would tell you skating's the thing he's always got to work on. So it kind of just shows the the discrepancy between like very pro athletes and even a guy like my friend's playing D one college hockey. Like he's a very good player, but I mean, when you're, you're up against an NHL talent, AHL talent like that, it, it's pretty shocking. So, but also it could just be, he's been working on it so much. I think with Shelly Kettles, he said, or Kittles um, with the power skating and everything. So I, I wouldn't doubt Igor. And I think it's big that he gets to just go into camp right away. Um, I don't want to say he was forgotten, but like, you know, you and I, we, we talked more about Pinto and we will, I mean, going forward now, especially, but he was, he was a little bit forgotten in terms of, in terms of contract wise. And um, I'm not saying the Sens forgot about him, but it's good that he has this done, can report to camp tomorrow. Just like nothing happened. Like it, it made no difference for Igor if he signed on July 1st or if he signed today. So it's big. Um, with that, I don't know if you have anything else more on Igor you wanted to get into. Let's talk about Shane Pinto. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, pretty much. I don't even have a headline made for this because there's so many things flying around. But I have this one thing I actually wanted to bring up because 30 minutes ago, uh, sends Buzz, in, and he's transcribing a lot of stuff from uh, broadcasts and podcasts and everything. He's really good at it. So give him a follow on Twitter if you're not already. Sends Buzz, he said, on insider trading, I'm not sure who was speaking. It was Dreger, LeBron, one of them. Uh, Pinto is not going to sign his qualifying offer at 875 per his representatives. Very positive talks, though. This deal can get done at any point. Senators just need to find some space. Teams have inquired, like the Flyers, they're not trading him. He's too key. So kind of, you know, not quote for, you know, word for word. It was a little bit uh, uh, taken or I forget the word, like just reworded, let's say. But message kind of stays the same. They've got to clear space. Like, I think that's what this has all been about. Um, and it's how much space they can clear. So with that, where are you at with Shane Pinto? What do you like? How are you feeling about this? Because we're the clock's ticking here. I feel completely fine. I'm still like every time I see somebody on Twitter talking about a potential trade, I know we had like there were some bigger people too taught like throwing trade proposals out there and I just I it blows my mind to be quite frank. Like I just I can't understand why we've built everything to this point in this organization and we're going into this exciting season and people are willing to trade Shane Pinto even like not even that just thinking about trading Shane Pinto. Like, we've spent all this time constructing this roster, and we're thinking about trading Shane Pinto because of 
2.5 million dollars that we can't clear on a friggin' bridge deal not even a long-term extension it's not like a situation where we have to pay him for eight years and they don't have the money and, and it just doesn't make sense with the core because he's not technically part of the core but it's like we're not even talking about that we're talking about like a two-year bridge deal here if you can't clear 2.5 million dollars like i don't know what to tell you like frankly ottawa's operating from a position of weakness a little bit in the sense that teams know they have to clear the money to keep pinto so they probably don't have an advantage but at the same time like i tweeted this too i would trade five other players on this team and i could list them if i really wanted to but i feel like i'm not going to do that just because i don't want to call people out but like they're good players i would be willing to move good players um with sweeteners before I'd be willing to move Shane Pinto, even if Pinto brought back good value. Like I just, I really value Pinto. Even if he's like, even if his, his track is kind of blocked by Norris and Stutzla in front of him, I still value him. Like, I think he's going to be just such a key player down the lineup. And we saw what a lack of depth does to a team last year. Like if they traded Pinto right now, regardless of how high everybody is on Greg, especially after the rookie tournament, like, I'm sorry, but if, if one person gets hurt, if Josh Norris gets hurt, like, I am on the brink of saying this season's a wash. Like, that that's how skinny they are up front, how thin they are. I just feel like you can't risk that. You can't risk injuries. I know Pinto in the long term, maybe he'll price himself out of Ottawa just because if you send him to a two-year deal, then he's entering his prime. Maybe he's worth too much. But at the same time, we keep saying it, the cap is rising. Like, the money's going to work out. And the fact that Ottawa has signed all these guys to lower term or lower value, like the $8 million instead of the Maple Leafs, 30 million per player basically like the fact that Ottawa's been able to do that should mean that when the cap goes up they can keep players like Pinto on like a three or four year deal into his prime through his prime at like four or five million dollars that's what they should be able to do um it, it just it kind of is crazy to me that we're even like debating a trade for Pinto I almost I see that and I just like I'm on the verge of muting those words because it's not happening I I just can't wrap my head around how it would ever happen um because it would leave such a gap in a lineup where like Ottawa is needing to win now they need to win and, and so you're going to trade a good player away for what futures and philadelphia's future picks and and prospects and like it just doesn't make any sense to me so that's a heated topic because shane pinto he's not necessarily a part of the core i can get with you on that fans but at the same time like he's a very integral member of this team and i think that even if he misses 10 games this year people are going to really be lacking like they're going to be missing him and, and, and 10 games doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. Uh, if he's missing that many games, you're going to see like that third line is going to be a point of weakness. It's, it's And I love Ridley Gregg, but again, you're really banking on him in that situation, and you're banking on health, and I am done banking on health. I am tired of that. I want If somebody gets hurt, it's next man up, and it's not Dylan Gambrell. It's like you need to have Shane Pinto available to actually step up. So that's my thoughts. Where are you at with Pinto and, and a potential trade that will not ever happen? Yeah, let me let me be clear before I start this. I I don't want to come anywhere close to trading this guy. Like no no shot. Uh, I think DJ Smith said it well to Ian Mendez at some point this summer. He said we haven't played a game really. We've had like ten games maybe with Stutzel, Norris, and Pinto. So that tells you everything you need to know. Like that's that's the the core of this team. Yeah, and you you got to bring or sorry not to bring it. You've got Kachuk and Giroux and like Batherson and uh, Tarasenko on the wings. Yeah, it's great winger depth as well, but up the middle is where you win Stanley Cups, and that's been proven time after time after time. And Pinto is the guy. Pinto is a high-end third center at his worst, right? I think that's fair to say. What I will say is okay, and I don't want to trade him, but getting it like if you're the Sens, okay, if you're Dorian and you you you're, you're floating a Matthew Joseph out there, and teams aren't biting because they don't need to bite because they don't need to help the Sens out of a cap bind. And you don't want to attach one of those first round picks because I don't think you should have to attach one to get Matthew Joseph off the books. That might just be me though. But 
it shouldn't take that much. And if that's what people are asking for, you are like, like, I want to be careful because I'm, I'm so pro Shane Pinto. I've been a fan since he was drafted. Like I'm, I'm, he, he belongs on this team in that spot, but it's not the end of the world. If they start the year without him, let's say if this, if this drags on, I don't think the season is, is lost. It's, it's, if it goes into November, if they get to the Sweden trip without him, or if they, you know what I mean? Like they can survive, especially with all the home games they have early on the matchups will be there health permitting. Yeah. If you get an injury, like it's, it's, that's, that's a whole different story, but this isn't Brady Kachuk holding out. It's not, he's not your MVP. He's not your captain. That's not the scenario. And it's honestly not even that Pinto's holding out. Like, I don't want to put this on Pinto in his camp because they're probably just waiting for what he's worth. He's not going to sign for what they have now. What? Like, if Sokolov's in the AHL, they have 700K for him. Like, he's not going to sign for that. So it's on the team to get rid of Cap. But again, the position they've put themselves in as a team, they don't need to bend over backwards to get Shane Pinto in the lineup on day one. That's my point. So yeah, it sucks that he's not there. It's really, honestly, it's just unfair to Pinto at this point. They went out and got depth that they needed. Um, like, people will point at the Tarasenko deal. They'll look at the Brandstrom deal and just be like, Why'd you do those so quickly without locking up Pinto? Which I get, I really do. Um, but but it, it, it's it's more, I think it's getting blown out of proportion more than it needs to. That's just me personally. Like, I don't think it's the end of the world. Now, without him in the picture at all, it's a problem. But I will say though, let's say Ridley Gregg can step in. And we'll talk about him in a minute here when we talk about the rookie camp. He's kind of in the same spot that Shane Pinto was in last season, right? Like last year of your entry-level deal, your I believe it's Greg's last year, but you're on your entry level. You're a rookie this upcoming season and you're being relied on as the second center or third center on the team. That's what Greg would be if Pinto was gone, right? He would be the guy unequivocally like that's your spot. So it's not a, I don't want to say that we should expect him to do the same thing, but like they, they've got pieces there. So I think that might be the hesitation from the Sens. I still think, I really do. I still think sometime during training camp, a trade will be made. I I don't think Joseph will be here, um, which we can we can get into that too if we want, like or when it happens, whatever. But that to me seems like the guy who will go. And I I just I don't think it's the end of the world if opening night Pinto's not there. Like you can ice a third line of Greg, Joseph, and Kubalik. And I'm still okay with that. I really am. And that might be crazy. So if if like I don't know if you agree, but like I, I understand Pinto's value because of what he did last year and like the goal scoring face off this defensively, all that. But I, I, I'm really high on really Greg and we'll get into that in a second as well. Well, here's the thing. I, I agree that I like that third line of Greg Kubalik and Joseph on paper. It looks good. My concern is, and I'm high on Ridley Gregg, but like, what if Greg's not ready to go here? What if he can't? Cause he's been playing wing too a lot. So it's like, what if he can't, and, and center's a little more complex. What if he can't kind of put that together? And now suddenly you have a gap on that third line. And, and who do you have to replace them that's left? Like, do you have to bump Castlick up? Like, I don't really like that. So it's, and then the other problem is, is like you said, health permitting. And I know that like, it sucks to bank on health and, and you kind of have to sometimes. I just feel like they shouldn't have to. I feel like they shouldn't have to put themselves in that unnecessary risk of a situation. Because like, here, here's my, my take on this. Like, I wasn't going to name the players, but now I am. So um, basically... Pinto, to me, you have to look at value. So, to me, you could probably sign him for 2 to $2.5 million. I think he'd accept that, especially if you make a trade, ship somebody out. Um, so, I'm kind of like in a tier situation where I look at Pinto and I'm like, of course, Joseph, and I know a lot of people have said, well, they'd probably have to move the first round pick with Joseph because he's signed for three more years at, you know, $3 million or $4 million or 
three million, right? So, um, okay. So say that that's off the table. They don't want to move the first round pick. Honestly, like I would debate it even still, just for the fact. And I, I think Joseph's a good player, but just for the fact that that first round pick could be like mid to late, and Pinto to me is worth more than a mid to late first round pick. But I, I understand the premise of it that it sucks to have to trade a first first round pick. Here's the thing: I would still trade like Kubalik before I would trade Pinto. And I, I mean, uh, Kubalik, like, I don't know what you'd have to give him for, but I'm sure there are teams out there who would take Kubalik, who's making 2.5 million, which is exactly what Pinto would get. I'm sure you could trade him for like a late round pick. Like just, it's just like a dump, right? I mean, it would kind of suck and it would make the Debrinket trade look worse, but I'm going to move him because he's, there's a good chance he leaves in free agency next year. Anyway, I'd move him before I move Pinto. Okay. Say Kubalik's off the table. Well, let me pivot. I love Eric Brandstrom, but listen, he's making $2 million and Tyler Clevin is probably going to replace him by next year, and I hate to say that because I love Brandstrom. We've been advocators for him. I think he's going to be a good top four defenseman somewhere, but again, it's not going to be in Ottawa. They don't have the space for him. I think it'll be in his best interest to go somewhere else, which he probably will um, before long, and, and they love Clevin in this organization, and where's Clevin going to go? He's going to play where Eric Brandstrom's playing right now, so I would move Brandstrom, who would have value. He'd bring value back. Like A lot of teams are looking for a guy like Brandstrom. And then Clevin steps in and maybe he's not ready, whatever. They've got Bernard Docker and Hamannick. They can make something happen. Like they've got all the left-handed defensemen, right? They could stack the left side. There's just so many options in my mind where you could really make something happen where you move guys. Like that's three guys. I mean, you I'll throw another one out there. That's crazy. Artem Zub. Now that would be insane. And I know that that's, that's bold, but listen, like, let's look at age here. Right. And then Pinto being, what is he like 22, 23? Like he's not even in his prime yet. Do you bank on that instead of a guy in Zub? And then that's 4.6 million. That gives you space to add somebody else if you wanted to. And then you've still got Brandstrom. Maybe he steps into a top four. You got Clevin up. Like, it's just, I don't think they'd ever do that. It's just something that could work to keep Pinto. Like, I think we have to get creative here if they aren't going to be able to move Joseph. Um, I'm just saying that I think there's at least five different avenues they could take aside from Joseph to keep Pinto there. Trading Pinto makes no sense to me just from a, a perspective of there's so many different things you could do. Uh, as a GM. So that that's kind of all I've got on Bento, but I think you've got some stuff. So you go ahead. Yeah. Uh, actually let us know in, in the comments and just like in general, what's more valuable. Cause I don't even know, like is a fourth defenseman of your top four more valuable or the third center? I think it's close. Like, I think, I think that's fair. Throw Anton Forsberg's name in there too. I forgot about him. <laughs> like there's a lot, you're right. You're right. There's a lot of people like, and, and again, I'm not saying trade Pinto. I'm just talking like leverage. Right. And maybe this, this is the, with the assumption that they're, they're they're fighting like they don't know what to get like i think early reports and i'm saying early as in like a couple of weeks ago were saying they're not close whatever this insider trading thing that i just quoted there from uh sends bus who paraphrased that's the word i was thinking of was paraphrasing couldn't think of it earlier but uh the paraphrasing of you know it, it's close but like talks are good or something like that and that to me says they they literally probably have a contract ready because this isn't a hard deal this isn't brady kachuk this isn't tim Sto- like this isn't the hardest deal that Pierre Dorian's ever made. It's just that they literally, they legitimately cannot sign it right now. So I think they have something ready. It's just about trading. And you're right. Like Brandstrom, I love him. He was wearing Sens golf shoes today at the tournament. They went to Sweden this summer. Like he's, he's a Senator. He represented them on the European media tour. Like it would be weird to trade him. Kuba league makes a lot of sense because we haven't seen anything from him. Um, at all. I think he was at the tournament today, like the golfing and he's been skating. I think, uh, but really nothing from the team, no media appearance. Like that maybe is a red flag. I don't know, but you're right. Like that's exactly what Pinto would be making is around 2.5 is what Kubelik's making. Um, so I completely agree. If, if it's up to that or Joseph, 
whoever's easier to move at this point. I'm still very high on Matthew Joseph. I know there was a conversation today on Twitter about Joseph or Kubalik, who are you moving? And like to me, it it doesn't really matter. I think I'm moving Kubalik just because he hasn't been here. And like you said, he's going to walk. I, I like Joseph's upside based on what he proved last year, just couldn't score. Um, so long story short for me, it's it's more about a leverage thing. If Dorian doesn't get the deal he thinks is fair, if he needs, and I know you said you'd be willing to attach a first, I don't think that it'll take that. If it's a second, maybe, like it took a second and a couple other picks to get rid of Nikita Zaitsev, right? It should not take a first round pick to get rid of Matthew Joseph, who's much less expensive, a much better player, younger, like you name it, right? Um, so with all that being said, uh, I would still like to see Shane Pinto there on opening night. Like that's, that's not a question. Um, the good news and what we can learn too from preseason is if Pinto's not there for the long run in preseason, you can see what Greg looks like beside Kubalik and beside Joseph and all that, right? Like that's not out of the question. You can run that line. I would, I'd imagine that's what they're going to run until it works out. So on that note, let's get into rookie camp wrap up. Uh, we, we had a lot of fun, obviously following everything. Like you said, the Sens jerseys were out and, uh, like not, not every team did that, which is, which is nice as well. Um, so let's go, let's talk about Ridley Gregg. Why don't you talk about Ridley Gregg? Um, and just, uh, what you thought about him and talk about, uh, Pfizer as well. Yeah. So Greg had two goals and one assist in the only game that he played. He played the first game against New Jersey, Ottawa, actually kind of surprisingly, they dominated that game and won five, two. Um, so Ridley Gregg, he, he was the best player on the ice in that game. In my opinion, he really stood out, um, the very first shift and you can go back on my Twitter, just at everyday sends, go through, click media, and you've got all the videos and pictures and everything and go down to the very first game and you'll see like a ton of clips, uh, the very first shift of the tournament, like 10 seconds into the game, Ridley Gregg threw a massive body check and blew, I don't know who it was. He blew somebody up and the whole crowd went like, Oh, and, and the clip went viral, and it's just like the very first shift that's so Ridley Gregg-esque. Um, so he he did that, and he looked a lot better physically. Um, at the end of the game, he took an awkward collision, and it looked like he was hurt. I'm pretty sure that they, they were probably planning not to play them again anyways, but I think that after they saw that, they were like, yeah, we're going to take Greg and Clavin out and not play them again because it's just unnecessary risk. Um, I will say, I know people don't put a lot of stock into this tournament because it's all younger guys. Of course, Greg played 20 games in the NHL last year. A little more used to the the bigger game, but at the same time, size was his only lacking trait last year. Like he was pretty much good everywhere else. It was just size, and even then, like he, he still produced at an okay rate at the NHL level. Looked great beside Giroux. Looked great on the power play. Uh, was one of their better offensive threats. Was not a liability defensively. He just got pushed around a little bit at times because he didn't have a big frame. And he's even admitted that. Like he, I think last summer or maybe after the World Juniors or something, he said he just when he ate a bunch of junk food because he needed to put on weight. Like, he just can't put on weight, he said. So, uh doesn't have a big frame, but he did look a lot bigger. I know, and people were responding to this in the comments too, but David Bell, who was the head coach of Ferrado at this tournament, Belleville's head coach, um, he, he came out and said that Ridley Gregg finished first in the bench press fitness testing, which was like he, he was lifted more than Tyler Clevin, and I know, I guess, bench press. Um shorter arms is an advantage, but whatever, I don't care. Like Ridley Greg, Tyler Clevin, it one's a behemoth and one is a guy who had to eat junk food to put on five pounds. Like Greg still managed to to lift more than him. So that's an impressive thing. And it just it's a testament to his strength, like regardless of the comparison there. It's just a testament to his strength, his size, like the the way that he's really been training. So I'm excited to see him. I think that like even 
last year, I did notice he was still really good with his stick. Like, even though he wasn't big, he got pushed around a bit. I thought he still won a lot of puck battles because he's just so, like, tenacious. He's very, very gritty. There was a couple clips I posted, too. I can remember where he, like, behind the play, like, like gave a cross-check to Justin Hall on the Leafs or something and into the net. And he's just very, like, Brad Marchand kind of in that sort of mentality. And so I think you saw that a bit at the rookie tournament. He got into it a couple times, got scrappy, and, of course, production is what really speaks volumes to people and he went out and he got three points in the only game that he played so um did you see that first game in in or did you just see the clips or did you see like his actual performance i i saw i saw some of it i didn't see most uh mm-hmm. most of the stuff but again like like it was really greg it's a really great yeah. show for for me uh i i'm i'm so excited about this kid i i'm very very excited i think i've i don't want to say we shoved him under the rug a little bit in kind of mock lineups like we we kind of did though because we we always we, you and I specifically did a lot of, oh, who, who can be on that third line? Like, what's the open spot? You know, we talked about every single young guy, but every time we did, we were like, assume Ridley Gregg's not there. Like, he's not in the picture because it's his spot to lose. It really is. To quote GMPD when he's talking about Jacob Bernard Hawker. But that's what, that's what I'm excited about. And that tenaciousness, that kind of play style, even though he's a bit of a slighter frame, it, it, it's important. And I think, look, man, like, I'm not, I'm not knocking Tyler Boucher, who was forced out of this tournament with a groin injury, which which it's so hard to, I like to put it like this. Like, it's kind of like the same in in the workplace. I want to say in in post COVID work and uh, maybe I'm out to lunch here, but you can't penalize someone for getting hurt or getting sick more often than others, but you can value people who don't get sick and don't get hurt more than others. Right. So it's kind of a bonus, but not a negative for the other people. So in that sense, like Ridley Gregg, is more valuable to the Sens right now because he's healthy. Like maybe Tyler Boucher would have gone out there and dominated the whole rookie showcase. Like he could have, but he was hurt. So we'll never know. And I don't even know how he's going to be for camp. So, but knowing what really Greg brought, he played one game and they said, you know what? You're done. I know he got a little bit banged up there at the end. Um, I'm guessing maybe it was precautionary, whatever it was, but he spoke to the media after like, he seemed fine. Um, to me, like, Ridley Gregg's play style because it, it might be kind of crazy, but because he's smaller than Boucher, but they still play a physical kind of ratty style. I think he might be more suited to it. And I don't know if that's crazy, but I think in general, smaller guys like that aren't actually super tiny are less injury prone than the bigger bodies, which, which is what Tyler Boucher is, right? He's a huge kid. So that could be some value there, but like, dude, I, I'm all about Ridley Gregg. I think he, he will be, if he can string together 82 games or 70 games or whatever, he'll be a fixture in the NHL. Won't be leaving. He'll get a place in Ottawa. I think what he showed in this camp is just that he's too good to be playing with that competition. Like he might be in that group where he's too good for the AHL, maybe not ready for the NHL, but last year he was ready. Like you said, he was good on the power play. He was good with Claude Giroux in that, on that second line role when they had injuries. Like he, he is ready for the NHL. There's no question. It's just about finding that role. And I think his play style suits a third line role very very well and i i'm excited i mean if joseph's around i'm really excited to see those two play together i think the speed that they bring the the offensive mindedness like you think about even like just let's do our mock line up here pinto kubalik and greg that's an offensively minded third line even if pinto's the defensive guy like all those guys can be can put the puck in the net so i'm really excited and i think that's kind of what we needed from greg isn't it like we needed to see a little bit more I don't know, maybe not more, but we just needed to see something. And this was good. It's a good like teaser for camp. Um, I, I, I admittedly didn't watch Pfizer as much as I wanted to. 
obviously he lit the lamp and everyone loved him. Uh, and, and if you're scoring in every game, you get four goals in the tournament, you earn yourself a camp invite. So not a full contract yet, but chances are it'll lead into one if he has a good showing here. So what'd you like about Pfizer? Because this kid, uh, uh, I think he's 22. So it's just an uh, 01 birth played in the ECHL last year, not much AHL um, experience, but I mean, man, you want to talk about turning some heads. That's exactly what he did. We talked about it before the camp. We said one of these, no, like in a, in a nice way, one of these no names is going to turn our head. And, and Pfizer did that. Yeah, he didn't. And even Ryan bonus came out and said that Pfizer was turning heads and uh, yeah, he's 22. I wrote a big article on him actually. Uh, so you can go check that out. But um, he, he was undrafted, of course, and he's only five foot 11, 175 pounds. So that's why he was undrafted is he's tiny, but he doesn't look tiny on the ice for the simple fact that like he's an extremely good skater. Like, I couldn't believe he was just and again, it's a rookie tournament, so grain of salt, but he was very fast, very good on his edges. He'd come in and, and somebody would try and rock him and he'd have his head up. He'd quickly turn. He'd cut away from them like very good puck protection. Um, he scored four goals and one assist in three games, which obviously led the Sens. Uh, and then in the third game too, like he was doing everything. He scored against Montreal, their only goal uh, on the shorthanded. Actually, he just came in and like sniped it. His shot is just ridiculously good. Um, but yeah, pretty much like their whole power play was get Pfizer the puck, let him shoot. Like that. That was what they were scheming up. Um, and, and yeah, he was very impressive. Played in the WHL before too. Captain Victoria, I believe it was. Uh, and, and just like he came out, he's a leader. He wore the A for them in the second and third game. I want to say, or at least the third game. Just stepped up. He started the tournament on a line with Greg and Yarventi. Uh, Yarventi, by the way, had four points, three points in, in two games. So he also had a pretty decent tournament. But uh, he came out, he got the chance to play with them. I think David Bell must have seen that talent right off the hop because he put them put him in a chance to like actually get some offensive mobility. And he ended up getting like he was the trigger man for Yarventi and Greg. So that was nice to see. Then in the second game, he got bumped up to play with Austin Chuck and Yarventi. So he just kept kind of working his way up the lineup and playing with the top dogs and he was hanging with them. He actually looked better than them for the most part, aside from Greg in the first game. So obviously an undrafted guy, you don't expect that, but this was his chance to kind of shine. And even though he's very undersized and he's slight, like he's a guy and, and who can play in the AHL and Chris Peters, who's a scout on Twitter said like he got to watch him last year and he was one of the better ECHL players. He's a high end guy uh, and he's only 22, right? So I think he is someone who can come out, sign a contract, play for Belleville Belleville, too, obviously got torched by injuries last year, uh, similar to Ottawa. So that's a guy who you can easily bring up. And they they had to have a whole bunch of amateur tryouts on their team. I think Pfizer's someone you sign and you get him to play in the lineup. Um, but yeah, otherwise, like he just he was impressive. Like I didn't expect to see that, but we did think that somebody would turn heads, at least one player. This is their chance. Like if you're undrafted and you go to a rookie tournament, you get invited. This is your chance to make like get your dream job and make this into your career. So. Pfizer did just that. I'm, I'm actually surprised they didn't sign him right out of camp, but they probably want to evaluate him a little more at training camp, see how he does against some of the bigger guys, uh, which is completely fair. So uh, other than that, I'll go through just a couple standouts here that I had. So number one, I'm going to say maybe even more so than Ridley Gregg at this tournament, Levy Marilainen. He was just nuts. Like he he kept the Sens in the two games he played. He was dominant. Um, of course, they lost the last game, but again, they had like two drafted players in their lineup. So what do you expect? Three or four drafted players, I guess. Um, but still, like it was almost all invitees. And then Marilinen's back there standing on his head, making ridiculous saves. Uh, he saw the like he was seeing the play ridiculously well, too. I was so impressed by that. Uh, he was sliding across and making these saves on one timers that you just don't see. I think he's closing the gap on Matt Sogard. That's one thing that I'm going to kind of say as a bold take. I think Sogard's above him. 
I know you're high on Marilinen too, but I think that that gap is closing and that they're going to be fighting for playing time because like he's really impressing and he did last year too when he came up to Ottawa in two games. He just looks really confident. He looks very poised in the net, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, just makes the, the, the easy save, swallows up the puck. So he was really good. Um, and then a couple others I just kind of noted down too. Jorian Donovan, who was the fifth round pick for Ottawa this year. He's obviously Sean Donovan's son. So he's a great leader, wore the A, was constantly talking to the refs. He was boosting up his teammates. He was getting scrappy too. If they get around the net at all, he'd get in there. So showing some tenacity like Greg and in just... Very impressive tournament overall, had an assist, uh, good two-way guy. I know he. people thought he would get drafted above the fifth round, so he was kind of a, a bit of a steal for Ottawa. And yeah, Sean Donovan's son, what else needs to be said, right? An Ottawa boy, so I uh, grew up a Sens fan as well. But yeah, so otherwise, we had just some of the other stats, like Philip Daou scored, had three assists uh, in three games, so he got a chance to really shine. Clavin got an assist in his only game. Ostapchuk got an assist. Ostapchuk actually got hurt as well like they did last year. So I don't know if he's going to partake in training camp, but he is on the roster. We'll have to see. It's kind of the unfortunate part of the event. Uh, Thomas Hamara, third round pick, got an assist. And then Pfizer, Jackson Stewart, Connor Clattenburg, and Jabril Tour, who is the massive defenseman who tuned up one of Montreal's little little forwards who is like a full foot smaller than him. Uh, they all got invites to training camp as well for Ottawa. So Kind of a, a valuable tournament. I mean, you leave with five, four, four invitees uh, who got a chance now to go to training camp. And obviously, we got to see some of Ottawa's top guys and make more evaluations on them. And I think Marilinen really taking another step is my, my biggest takeaway from this tournament. I want to see how he does compared to Sogard this year. Yeah. Uh, the reason Marilinen was so exciting for me is because in that Montreal game, the last one they played uh, on, on Monday there, he. Listen, Montreal had a lot of drafted talent in the lineup. They most of their drafted talent, to be honest. I think you you did the the numbers there. They had what was it, 12, 14 players drafted in the first two rounds or something like, like that. that. Yeah. And Ottawa had two third round picks, and that was it. So to me, and obviously Marilina being one of them, to me, the the reason like like it, they lost two one. Obviously, it sounded like I didn't watch most of it, but it sounded like they got outclassed, uh, which was expected. But Marilina stood on his head, and that's why it's 2-1. So, yeah, you look at the lineup card, and if you're the Sens, you're like, yeah, we're not throwing out our best there. It's a bit depleted. But then you ha- you back it up with your stud goaltending uh, prospect, and he showed why he's their stud. Like, he's, to me, I'm, I'll go back to uh, the Locked On podcast, their goalie-friendly show. Both of them were goalies when they played. They they say about Marilina, like, he's just technically sound. I remember that from the last games he played at the end of the season last year against Carolina. Um, it was that he was like, everything he does is just technically sound and he's a very like calm, cool, collected goalie. And I'm not, I'm not comparing him to him, but like reminds me of Carey Price a little bit, just the way he, uh, moves around and he doesn't get frantic and all that. Like it's hard to do. Right. Uh, so, so super happy with Marilyn. And I think you're right. He's closing the gap with Sogard. Like, I don't know if there is even a gap. Like I'd put both of them in the same kind of tier as to, in terms of who, who they value more. Um, I believe Sogard will get the first call-ups though this year, depending on how they play in Belleville, but it'll be those two for, for the most of the season, as long as health is permitting for both of them. So like, again, you mentioned, we were talking about, uh, uh, Ridley Greg and, and Pfizer and like just all these guys who might end up just playing in Belleville, like Sokolov is going to be there probably for most or for mo- a good part of the season. I should say Belleville themselves is, is kind of gearing up as well. Like they had some, AHL signings on July 1st like those are big big players because they've got other suitors and the Sens know that like Boko Imama you got Matthew Highmore like all these players who are 
pretty good AHL talent on top of all the prospects you've got. And yeah, they might not be world beaters or whatever, but they grind. These are all guys who can be solid third line NHL talents that, you know, you got Crookshank, I'll stop Chuck, um, uh, not, not Greg, but Tyler Boucher or, or Venti. Like all these guys can be good NHL players, which means they should translate to the AHL. Like, I don't know. I mean, all the expectation and rightfully so is on the Ottawa Senators, the big club, but Belleville, they got to bounce back too. They had a bit of a disappointing year last year based on all the injuries. David Bell is going to have his first full season there. Like I'm excited to see Belleville this year too. So, and I think Marilyn and, and Sogard, you kind of hope for organizational health in the net. And it's not just Forsberg and Corpusalo. It's those two as well, because if one of them goes down in the, in the NHL, that tandem in Belleville gets disrupted. Right. So I'm looking forward to seeing Marilyn a lot. I think I'm, I'm definitely, you know, personally higher on him than Sogard, but I do really like both. I liked what I saw from both in the NHL last year. So for rookie camp, I think that's it. Like we got what we needed out of it. We saw the players we wanted. Tyler Clevin, we should hit on him a little bit too. Just looked like a beast. Like he, he's too good for that level. You mentioned him earlier, just talking about Brandstrom, like how he can step in and realistically based on the one-way deals that they have up there, <laughs> Travis Hamnick, Clevin will probably be the odd man out. Makes no sense anyway to have him as the seventh defenseman on that team. So he probably won't be making the NHL roster, but like I said, with the Pinto thing, if Clevin comes in and literally knocks the door down, like he just plays so well that you can't ignore it. Maybe Dorian just pivots and says, look, like calls teams and says, Eric Branstrom's available guys, because that's the guy you would move. Right. And it's nothing against Branstrom. It's just an embarrassment of riches. If Tyler Clevin's Clevin's ready, how can you tell him? No, you did the, the opposite with Pinto and Jake Sanderson, the two other top prospects from Belleville or from uh, North Dakota. Sorry. Bernard Docker went back there, but if Pinto and Sanderson knocked the door down and told you they, they're not going to the AHL, Clevin could very well do the same thing. He impressed last year. Sounds like he only got better now. So to me, I'm excited to see that. Let's quickly, just before we wrap up here, um, let's hit on Michael Anlauer just being at the Sens Foundation golf tournament today. I've got a quote and I'll let you run with it after. So Claire Hanna from TSN was there, obviously. Uh, Anlauer spoke to the uh, media, to the fans, who are, like the group that was there. And this is what he said. He said, he jokes at the tournament. I probably shouldn't be here today officially. Obviously, the deal has not wrapped up. Says he didn't want to wait a year to support a pillar of the Sens community. And this is quoted. The Sens Foundation is important to me. Didn't want to wait a year because I'm not officially the owner of this team just yet. Uh, so what does that mean? To you? I think it, it, like all the pictures we got, it looked like a great day for everyone there. Uh, I'm super excited about this guy finally getting the reins of this team. Probably on Friday. That's what I'm guessing. I mean, it, it just goes on what we were saying before, but Anlara, how he's kind of an A-plus so far. Uh, he's done an A-plus job. Like, every movie's made, and then now we're hearing, too, there's been a lot of rumors, but a lot of kind of accurate rumors. Like, you can tell that they're legit, um, but they're just not official yet. Like, uh, there's obviously Alfie's going to be coming back to the organization, they think, in a player development role. Um, there's a few other things that are going to be happening, too, but I think the biggest thing with Anlauer is we've seen what he's done um, to the hockey team already with expanding, obviously, the analytics department, and he's added a couple people. Uh, they think Steve Steos is going to come in most likely in some sort of capacity. And then he goes to the tournament and obviously spoke to those season ticket holders too at the event they did at the CTC. Uh, and then he goes and he speaks again at the golf tournament and he takes part in that. And yeah, the tournament as a whole seemed pretty awesome. It seems like they're once again building a tight-knit group this year. Uh, Tarasenko, obviously there was pictures of him there and then all these new guys too, kind of already bonding with the young team. And it's awesome to see. But Ann Lauer... You can tell that he's passionate, and that's what we wanted. And, and of course, we look back at it now, and it was all about Ryan Reynolds. 
Um, but as it turns out, I mean, Ann Lauer is the perfect owner. He's someone who I feel like we won't hear too much about him during the season. Like he'll be in the background, which is what you want from an owner. There's nothing worse than a, an overly involved owner. Like he'll let everybody do what they do. Um, but he's still going to be someone who every now and then comes out and gives a great speech and you can tell he's going to invest in the team and he's going to actually try to build a winner, um, which regardless of Ottawa being a small market, like if he's trying to build a winner, like he's going to build a winner, like the, any, any owner can invest in the team and make them, you know, give them every chance and the best chance to win. Um, but they have to actually invest their own money and, and Ann Lauer seems like someone who's going to do that. And that seems what, like, that's exactly what Ottawa needed. Right. So already too, I think there's been some rumors and, and some stuff that's happened to the CTC as a building that they've upgraded to uh, and the ice experience. And they were adding a few like different, there's some sort of like, like ribbons or something they're adding. And, and I don't know, there's a bunch of stuff. So the in-game experience should take even another step this year. It did last year, but I'm expecting even more. And it all comes back to Ann Lauer, just being a, a guy who's willing to invest in his team and, and really care about the, not just the team, but the organization, the city, all of it. Uh, and, and to be involved this early when he's technically not even the actual owner yet is pretty awesome to see. Um, but yeah, we should get the official announcement here later this week. To me, it really doesn't matter. I think he's already the owner. Like it's not going to not happen. So I've already accepted it. I'm not even worried about that. But yeah, it was awesome to see for sure. Yeah, him him just just being there. I think I think obviously they wanted it wrapped up earlier. There there was a, a breakfast with the mayor, which Dorian actually went to instead, which is which is great for the Sens. Still, they had a presence there, which is what the point of it was in the in the first place. But. I think just having Ann Lauer there, like this was obviously circled on the calendar. Plan was for him to have already taken over. Like maybe he had more planned if he was officially the owner already, but everyone knows he's going to be. Everyone knows he is pretty much already. So having him there for that is big. Um, and clearly it is to him too, which doesn't mean any, like it doesn't, it's not nothing I should say. So I was very happy to see that. So I think that's going to wrap it up for us for episode 39. Next one's going to be 40. We're hitting 40 episodes. And by 41, we'll have Sens hockey to talk about. Full-on preseason Sens hockey, rookie camp behind us, preseason coming up. Uh, this was a jam-packed episode. Very excited uh, that we got to do this. We've got our sponsorship package as well, which is great. Everyone go to manscaped.com, use code SENS20 when you're there on any item you want. doesn't have to be the specific lawnmower. You got They've got underwear, t-shirts, all the, all the merch. So head over there and use code SENS20. That's going to do it for episode 39. Hit subscribe to the YouTube page. Leave a like. Comment what you think about what we said. I think we had some... I'm still curious. Like the fourth defenseman in a top four, which Artem Zub is, or the third center. What's more valuable to a team? I still don't know. So let us know in the comments. We will see you all next time for episode number 40.